rolling. I think we're rolling. All right. Uh, welcome to What Else? My guest today, MacArthur Antigua. Here you are. On, uh, I'll point out for the listeners that this is this is remote. This Hello. is the first Hello. first remote. What else? Hello. Um. Thanks. Oh, thanks for doing this. Wow, thing. it's a remote. It's my first remote. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a pleasure. Um, yeah, a I'm pleasure. happy to. Ha- I'm happy to have you here. So uh, maybe for our listener or listeners, um, you can tell us a little about um, where you grew up. I grew up in. Uh, Palos Hills, Illinois. I was born in Lincoln Park, but then the family decided to get out to the Burbs. So that was the worst time to get out of Lincoln Park. Apparently in the 70s, they couldn't think to buy land. They just went out to the south suburbs. And uh, it's very much a Greek neighborhood. I grew up across the street from uh, St. Constantine and Helen's Orthodox Church. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I realized, wait, not every town has a Greek fest. Not every town has like the classes full of pappuses and like it was very much, I think I had so many restaurateurs on my block. It was just a fascinating uh, culture, but yeah, South suburban Chicago. Um, and uh, one of the few people of color to be there. So it's one of those things that because I wasn't black, it wasn't, I think scary enough for people, right? Like as long as you didn't stick out, like as long as you didn't like rock the boat, you kind of got by. On some level, so I think that's the the vibe I grew up. And what, uh, what year did you? Yeah, it was a. I mean, it was it was a great public school. Had an awesome public school system. Seventy six, and then and I was I was like a baby. I was a baby, and then that's where I grew up, South Burbs. And uh, you know, this kind of place where it's it was sort of like mom told you to get out of the house, you know, over the summer, get out at nine, and then you come back at five, and it was just yeah. sort of like that's. You rode bikes or you went to the, you went to the Creek or you like wasted time at the comic book shop. I mean, I guess it's a, it's, it's sort of ideal. I don't think that's the world we're in right now for majority mm-hmm. of folks. We weren't very programmed growing up. So it was very much gone about. I had a buddy that lived down the street, Michael Harmson. Um, and we were two peas in a pod, man. We were just we ran around and, we were perfect for each other because we could easily just sit and watch cable and comment on it all day. We had other friends going, do you want to go do stuff? It's like, now we're just going to, we're just going to watch uh, chain reaction on USA network or Cheech and Chong or something. And just, and I think that's where like the pop culture stuff happened. And, you know, we drank so much iced tea and ate so much Tyson chicken patties. Like it was a very, I, I'm amazed I don't have diabetes or something like that. We just ate a lot of, food like bad food and watch a lot of bad television you know a lot of stuff like that yeah <laughs> so but we were two peas in a pot we were great and we also played a lot of basketball like that's you know it's people sort of like anytime i hear uh just to sort of give you a sense of my age if i ever hear pearl jam 10 or bc boys check your head that was pretty much summer of my junior year of high school where the last time i had no responsibilities i think and i just played ball all day just mm-hmm. play and that we just wore out that tape just play that tape. Both those tapes. Pearl Jam is done. You throw in Brady's Boys. BC Boys done. Throw in Pearl Jam. 
So whenever I hear that, I, I get this fond sense of just like, oh, freedom. Like that was like the last time I had no responsibilities and I could just play basketball out of front yard all day. That's great. What was your, uh, what was your first job that you had? Well, the thing about it was I wanted to work because I liked the concept of making money, but my parents were like, no, you're going to hit the books, right? Or you're going to build up that academic record or do curriculars. Like mm-hmm. the last thing we want you to do is like slinging anything. Like it, it wasn't a vibe of like, oh, you're going to learn responsibility. They're like, no, no. We're, you know, my mom was a third shift registered nurse. My dad was like a hustler in the sense that like he did everything like Amway or he did uh, he owned a gas station or something. So yeah. they're like, no, you're going to hit the book. But, it, but in terms of I did odd jobs, right? Or summer gigs here and there. Um, and so when, I, when you were saying, what's your first job? I think the first thing that comes to mind is I remember working retail for my cousin at Software Etc. in the uh, Stratford Square Mall out in the North Burbs. He needed, so he needed like, people to work at. So I, I like playing video games. So I just would work you know, work the Christmas scene. And I sold so many Sega CDs. It's just a useless piece of garbage. I must sold so many of those. I just remember feeling very, I worked, uh, we always fought over like the shrink wrapper. Like we always wanted to shrink wrap everything. So that was, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, I remember <laughs> just pointless. Like you really don't need people to sell software on some level, right? If anything, I was assuring because it was a holiday, right? I was assuring parents that, yeah, this is a good buy. Your kids are going to love this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's really what I was there for. Yeah, this is right. That's right. You want that. Go get that. You know, I mean, outside of that, I was pretty useless, like in that role, pretty much. And I think what I did is I made a lot of people feel good. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the hot Sonic. That's the hot new one or whatever. That's, you want that. You want that. So. <laughs> I did work. My buddy did. My buddy, one of my other buddies, his dad owned a huge warehouse in Bedford Park. So he, a good dude, and he would allow us to kind of work Saturdays, if you will, once in a while, and just like fill pallets full of detergent or whatever they were shipping. I did one day of that, and I said, I'm going to hit the books. I can't do this. Like, there's, it was almost like a scared straight kind of thing. Like he's like, yeah, yeah, why don't you come in? And I did it, and after like a day, and I, you know, I paid his cash. I think I made like $250 or something. It was super generous. And, and I was probably pretty useless, right? Like, I, I probably wasn't. I couldn't drive a forklift. You know, right. I, I think he was kind of like, yeah, you want to, you want to hit the books, dude. You don't want to do this. So that's, <laughs> I did that for a couple of weeks and I'm like, dude, I'm out. I can't. No. <laughs> do this. When you- and I actually learned to be good with like, just being good with the money that was doled out to me occasionally. Like after a while, I'm like, I don't need it. I'm not saving up for anything. Like, what am I, what am I really doing this for? Right. So mm-hmm. I didn't have that yearning. To like, oh, I want to go buy a Trans Am or something in Iraq that I'm going to refit. No, there was no ambition on that. And I'm like, no, I'm good with the money and the, the, the $20 I get every two weeks to go see a movie or something and eat. Yeah. I got my three squares and, uh, and I had a roof over my head. I, I think I got to a point where like, no, this is fine. I'll accept this for now. This is a good deal. Did you, uh, were you ambitious in any other sense? When you were that age, when you were like in high school or even? Or yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was like that kid in Rushmore. I was like Jason Schwartzman in Rushmore. I was like in every club. You know, I did. I really thrived in structure, if that made mm-hmm. sense, right? If yeah. there was a thing, I could do it. And I like doing it. 
And uh, so I guess I was ambitious in that way. Very much so. Yeah. I, and again, I would probably say school is my job right, in that way. Like I was, I was a good student. I was super involved. Uh, I got along with everybody, you know, I, I got along and I was the, the most likely to succeed, like all that, the whole nine yards. So, so I, I guess that was ambitious, but you know, I was really good in a structure, right? If that made sense, right? Like, it's like, okay, what do I need to get? Okay, great. I could do it. It wasn't like, uh, I was freelancing, if that made sense, right? Like it wasn't like I was Bill Gates and creating a computer in my garage or mm-hmm. starting a band or something, right? So I think that's something I didn't, I was less ambitious, if that made sense. I didn't, I didn't think I had the permission to give myself to go, I'm going to go outside the, the lines on this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did you feel like you were, did you feel like you were in your element in those things, in those clubs, and in school yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I had a good time, and I'm, and I was got to go to cool places. Right, I sort of saw the exchange, right? Like you do this, you get to go there, and you get trophies or you get recognized. And again, it helped that I was good at stuff, good at academic things, or good at like we did. I was in Scholastic Quiz Bowl, right? Which is first answering questions, which which when you think about it, in the advent of Google, Nick, it's a pretty useless skill nowadays. Like you don't, you don't need to ask me like who founded the pyramids. It's like, you can look that, ask Alexa. But at that time, it was kind of a big deal if you could answer that in person. So I was, I was good at that. And uh, I was really good at not just answering the questions, but I was a really good team captain. Like they, you would introduce yourself in the beginning and like for the most part, Everyone's high school aged and not really good at that sort of thing. So it's like, uh, uh, this is uh, to my right is Nick, and then over there is Malia. And, and but when I was captain, great to be your captain today. Uh, far my far left is this, and he's a Sagittarius. Like it was, it was like the adults loved it. Like they were like, yeah. oh yeah, this guy gets it. He gets like we're like trying to do a thing here, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I saw it. I did it. I'll say this. I watched a lot of Letterman growing up, like eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And I kind of got a, I liked it a lot. And I think that sort of really informed this sort of sense of irony or the sense of like, there's an artifice going on and almost Mm -hmm. absurdist. And I think that in some ways informed it, my point of view as well. So I kind of knew high school was a bit of a game. Like, okay, I'm not going to get too, you know, wired up about it, but I'm good at it. Or I'm good in the structure, and but yet it's a bit of a bit, right? On the at the end of the, <laughs> this kind of a bit, but sure. I, it wasn't. But 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 mind you, I wasn't like a rule breaker. Like I didn't have the confidence to be like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna break through. If anything, I just kind of used it to get the figured it out. Because at the end of the day, Nick, like it was always clear to me that my parents came over from the Philippines, so don't screw this up. You know what I mean? It's like I didn't come all this way for you to screw around kind of vibe mm-hmm. right so it's mm-hmm. kind of, i wanted to win the game or be right do right by them or at least that was the that was what i carried i would say like that's what i carried so i never wanted to get in trouble if that means i never want to get in trouble so yeah that makes sense did you yeah. um were there particular it sounds like you were interested in that kind of the overall structure and the overall participation and stuff were there particular things that you gravitated towards whether it's you know wood shop or theater things or anything yeah i mean i i, I probably didn't do wood shop uh <laughs> that's probably what i didn't do i mean i think it was sort of your classic 
like well sports i loved doing sports but it was just kind of i was not you know i i there was a ceiling there like i loved basketball growing up but i knew like after my sophomore year that i would didn't see the the utility in spending 10 hours a week taking stats as much as i mm-hmm. love basketball and the team i just like no i'm gonna retire i even said retiring like i'm gonna retire like who says that i'm gonna retire for basketball but but then what i did was i became announced starting announcements like like tommy edwards and and stuff like that so i think i, I did gravitate i liked being i think i like crowds right i like performing on some level yeah. and i only did one play so it wasn't okay. like i was in the theater program but i like right. doing it um yeah, but I did. I did like those. Th- I, yeah, I was in sort of. I liked everything. I know that's. If I could maybe pin it down a little bit more, I, I really was into uh, creative elements. Like I was in the drama club, but what, not necessarily like the performance drama club. Like there's people like going to plays. We had a really cool English teacher oh, okay. who would take us to two plays into the city. So I was like, oh yeah, I want to do that. I want to go into the city. I'll you know that's what it was, Nick. I'll, I'll pivot that. Like living in the suburbs, we got. I got to go to a school that went to field trips into the city symphony art museum chicago historical society you know the bigs your your things mm-hmm. and i just remember going on the bus and going up lagrange and then going up i-55 and then finally driving in and you drive past mccormick place and i just remember like ooh, like this is it <laughs> like i'm just like i'm leaving ah like that's what i remember i was so thankful for going to a, a school or set of schools that often took us into those places yeah. Um, and that, that really built up, like, I want to like, I want to do more things that let me do that. <laughs> I don't do that. So, so when you compete, you got to travel to the city or you got to, you know, do things, not athletics, obviously, but, um, yeah, but I remember I did, uh, I did forensics or performance and it was like a humorous duet and me and my buddy, Sean Sexton, good dude. Our teacher thought we were both kind of, you know, we were both maybe a little too smart for our own good. And our teacher kind of just shut us up. We were like, we want to do something cool. Because it felt like at that time, there was the same five pieces that everybody did. So she had us do Orphans, an excerpt from this play called Orphans that had, I believe, uh, Modine. Matthew Modine was in the movie version of it. And it, it was a really, like, dark, it was, it, was, it was about two crime, you know, criminals on the run. And one was, like, I, I believe mentally challenged. The other one wasn't. And, uh, and we did this as a comedy and I remember like performing it. We did it at every like tournament that spring and we never won, but all the judges would go like interesting choice. And yeah, weird. Like it was just like, you're like, you're not trying to win, but I appreciate you because parentheses, I, I, I didn't know this at the time, but in hindsight, it's like, I, I get so tired of seeing the same thing over and over. So it was so interesting right. to see you guys take on something so challenging. But at the same time, you're both 16 and not really that mature to get the material. But yeah, inter- so like it's stuff like that was like, I was kind of proud of that. But at the same time, I, I knew I was doing something different. I just didn't know what it meant. But I, I liked that I was doing something different. Or I liked that I got to do something unique. And I'd probably say like, to me, that was kind of like what I sought after. I guess one more quick high school story. I remember I did this thing called Youth in Government and the, and the apex of it, right, was like you, you would go to Springfield and you'd actually for a weekend, you and your other high school students with other high school students across the state would occupy roles 
like state senator, state rep, and you would try to pass laws. And certain students, right, or student participants got to be like the speaker or got to be like all this stuff. Right. So I had to learn Robert's Rules of Order. And like to be different, I tried to pass a law that allowed the use of cameras to detect speed. <laughs> and like when you think about it, like what? telling 17 year olds that we're going to use cameras to slow. I mean, like, I don't know why I chose that, but it was almost like, yeah, let's, try, let's get this passed. And I got it passed, you know, over the veto, actually the governor. Um, and I, I remember like realizing afterwards, like who was this insane? Like, why would I try to like, who, I don't know. It's almost like, that's not good. That's not a winner. Like nobody in their right mind would want that bill passed. Like, but I, was, I wanted to do it. I tried to figure it out. So. That would probably give you a sense of what I was like growing up, I guess. Mm -hmm. Structure, but then wanted to push it a little bit or find it. I'm interested in the, um, the kind of evolution of your approach to dealing with people. So it sounds like well, I'm getting a little bit of a vibe from your stories that, um, that you weren't you know, particularly nervous or intimidated by being in front of other people or dealing with new people. Is that, is that accurate? I think it's very accurate. Yeah. I, I, and again, that was, that happened. That I'd probably describe my junior and senior year, but my freshman and sophomore year was a bit of growing into my body, growing up a little bit, right? Like getting through that stuff. Um, but definitely junior and senior year, that's probably when I hit my stride in terms of what you described. Yeah. Were you uh, like at that age, so the end of high school, did you have a sense of, um, you know, I'm going to use sort of air quotes, right? What you wanted to do or what you wanted to pursue after that in terms of, you know, career or some kind of uh, direction. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think I had an idea at the time, but that was just because that was the best available choice of the options that I knew about. So for example, like when I went to college, I'm like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I didn't have this deep seated passion to be a lawyer. It just was sort of like, that's kind of what you did. I think if you wanted to get into certain things or that's the perception I had, mm -hmm. um, I never pursued law. It was just a thought. So, you know, that I, so I think I knew like I wanted to do something cool. Um, but I didn't, you know, probably if you asked me at the time, I wanted to be David Letterman, right? Like I wanted to be, if not mm -hmm. on TV, like that kind of broadcaster, I would, that would have been great. Um, but at the same time, Nick, I don't think I would have. So, so here's a quick story. When I was in school, I went to Northwestern. And back then, you would stand in line um, for your major as a freshman if you wanted to declare. And this is before the internet. So you stood in line. And so I was going to be a theater major. And I remember that line was pretty long, as you can imagine. Um, this is for communications. So I knew I was going to be in communications. I'll be a theater major. And Nick, that line was so long that I talked myself out of being a theater major <laughs> because I said, there are no Filipino Hamlets. I can't name any Filipino actors. What am I doing? And I jumped into the communication studies line right at the last second because that had the fewest requirements. <laughs> And it kind of gave me an open-ended, like, well, I could figure something out. Um, but that being said, as much as I wanted to be David Lemon, I didn't see myself up there. So I didn't have the guts or, you know, I didn't have the fortitude to go, well, I'm going to be the first. 
I'm going to, I'm going to like, you know, whatever I'm going to first this. I didn't have that kind of confidence what, to, to go back to it. You know, I understood the structure and if I, I'm not going to push the structure, I'm going to honor the structure the structure said, well, there's nobody that looks like me up there. Okay. I guess that's true. So even though deep down inside, I would find ways to do those things, right? I would take classes in the theater program. I do performance ethnography. I would do, I would perform improv in college, right? So it wasn't like it would be in the shadows, um, but it was never out in front street. So, so if that gives you a take, right? I think it was a sense of, I didn't have the, I didn't have that kind of confidence. Yeah. Darn it all the heck. What do you, uh, <laughs> what, what's the appeal to you of the improv stuff? Like what aspect of doing that is what attracts you? Uh, I remember watching, um, I guess back again to performance, liking comedy growing up, right back to Letterman and things like that. Um, watching on WTTW on Sunday nights, whose line is it anyway? As like a 10 year old and 11 year old thinking that those people did magic. Like that's so cool. Um, because they were making it up. Um, and then getting to college and seeing it up close going, well, that person's not too older than me. In fact, they're about my age. I can do that here. And, and so I, I think what attracted to me at first was this sort of like, you know, it, it really is that um, origin story when people like maybe for you, like when you heard the who for the first time and things were different mm -hmm. after that, right. like for me seeing a set, you know, on campus and going, wait, I, you can do that. Like, or somebody like, you know, that I'm only 10 feet away from that guy. <laughs> you know, right. Right. Or they have that here. So I think that, and I guess what it, what I loved about it was the sense of being in command in the midst of chaos um, and being confident and comfortable on stage and having fun and being an ensemble, um, being on a team, back to being sports, right? Being on a team. I, I think those were the things that attracted me at first. Um, and then as I got into it more as an adult, um, I discovered all of the things that are very practical about it or even mystical about it actually you know it's the kind of thing like if i get better at improv i get better at life so so that's the stuff that kept me in it or or like informs me a lot you know in terms of kept informing me as i became a young adult and became older you know and try to be more mature um and then ultimately teaching it to other college kids later um they would see it right so it's, it's even a fascinating thing for like maturing as a, a person <laughs> when you practice improv and perform those things but uh so that that's that end of it like of course i performed you know being in chicago in the 90s it was a great time you know to be at improv olympic io chicago and having that opportunity i did that for several years and so that was just cool to be in a scene you know and to be somewhere where you know people are your age and trying to do it well i don't know what it was but it was trying to do it probably at the time it was get on second city main stage but some of us thought oh, i'll be on snl someday but even that's like I was like, I'm going to be in the NBA. Sure, SNL, yeah, whatever. Like, you do it, but mm -hmm. yeah, gosh, to have that kind of ambition is, for me, it would have been scary to, to say, yeah, I'm going to be on SNL, which, you know, what is, that, what is that Henry Ford quote? Either you can do it, if you think you can do it or you think you can't do it, you're probably right, right? That's sort of the right. staple of elementary school classrooms, right? Uh, you know, ultimately, I didn't think I could do that, and I was right, so. Um, when you talked about being how you, when you got 
getting better at improv helps you get better at life. What can you talk about that a little bit? I'm interested to know in what way you, you see that being true. I thought when I started um, improv when I was younger and getting into it, it was about having the best line and writing the best joke or like having it ready to do at the right time and get the biggest laugh. And the more I discovered is like, that's actually the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. And the teachers beat that out of me um, and invited me to be more vulnerable and say, actually, it's about showing up fully present and paying attention and finding a pattern with your scene partner or finding a pattern with the person you're with and exploring it and discovering it. And I think if I'm at my best, I'm doing that in my life. I'm not hung up perhaps on mental models that I'm holding on to or I'm stressed out because things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Um, it's kind of like that one poem by Rumi who said, who, the, the shorthand of it is just to let, let it in, let even welcome, welcome disappointment like a guest or welcome, welcome fear like a guest into your house in a way, kind of welcome it in. Uh, and that's to me, what I learned from improv was how to be fully present in the moment in front of a lot of people. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. And then at that moment, look and go, well, what do you see? What's true in this moment right now? And can you access it? Can you get to it? And can you build something with someone right now? It's, to me, that's in its purest form. That's what I got out of it and still get out of it. And even in my work and life, that's what I try to build into whenever I'm, uncomfortable or when I'm not happy about something, I try to look at going, what am I attached to right now that is preventing me from being present in this moment? And so that you almost find the uh, parallels with Buddhism in mm -hmm. some ways, right? Um, there's a lot for me anyway, that that's how improv plays a lot of very Buddhist, not being too attached to things and, and being in the moment and being present to it and observing it, witnessing it and being with it. Um, that's the stuff that, I still learn, right? Even though I don't practice improv a lot anymore, I mm -hmm. do it in my work all the time because I'm in front of rooms and, um, you know, and even to this day, I notice, wow, I'm really nervous. Why am I nervous speaking to these people that are, you know, how many times I've been in a room talking to people, but I'm holding on to something. I'm holding on to some narrative about myself uh, that I'm, and sometimes it's, oh, I'm afraid they're going to find out I'm a fraud, right? I'll have that narrative in my head or, mm -hmm. or they're going to find out I'm not good enough or, or this is the day <laughs> it's going to not work. Uh, and, or what does that do for me by holding on to that? And I think what it probably does for me is try to keep me honest. Like maybe I don't get lazy. I actually do the prep work, right? Is that sort of, and then you, then I ask myself, why do I need to do that to get myself to do something? It's, I don't know, but, but I think these are deep seated patterns that I've held, but doing improv or like at least having that skill set um, invites me to unpack it and go, well, why do I really want to show up in this moment right now? Another great thing that improv taught me was from Susan Messing. And she said, if you're the only one, if you're on stage and you're the one not having fun, then you're the asshole. And I thought like, wow, I've been the asshole so many times in improv shows <laughs> and in life. Right. Um, because the reason why I wasn't having fun is I thought this isn't good enough or this could be better or mm -hmm. this isn't what I thought it was going to be as opposed to like, actually, that's the time to celebrate yourself and be with other people in a way that you're building something together and discovering something together. Because at the end of the day, that's what the audience is paying for. The audience is coming to a place where they want to see you create something with somebody else and be joyful. So 
give them their money's worth. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, don't be a jerk about it. So that, I mean, that's something I think I, I still hold on to, you know, or still hold. I don't think I've solved yeah. it, but uh, yeah. in, in your life, how do you um, sort of reconcile the ideas of um, wanting to do a good job, right? Wanting to be good at something, something you kind of talked about this earlier, that kind of approach with um, sort of a non-attachment to outcomes mm. or, you know, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, having things not turn out that way and stuff. Like how do you mm -hmm. navigate that? Yeah. So my current job that I have right now, I was brought on because my friend who got, who's the CEO of this new startup, he said to me, Mac, we do a lot of meetings in this new job. Like our job will be convening all sorts of different people from different roles from different sectors to come together to try to create something together. And so I need you to make sure that those meetings don't suck. <laughs> and so I say that to say, when I can, my job is there a lot around meetings, convening people mm -hmm. to create something out of, to, to co-create something even bigger than they could have done by themselves. So when I co-create a space, when I design a meeting, I have a desired result in mind. In your language, perhaps, this is what good means if we get to this result. Right. And then once you see what the result is, then you design backwards going, well, what would be the set of conversation or activities or sequences that would move a group perhaps to get to that result, right? You work backwards. Makes sense, right? And so you spend a lot of time. If it's a 60-minute meeting, right? It's not a 60-minute meeting, right, Nick? Because if 10 people are there, it's 60 minutes times 10 people. It's a 600 minute meeting, right? So you, you don't take 600 minutes to plan money, but you have to think about all the permutations and possibilities and know who's in the room, all these things. I say this to say that I spend a lot of time designing and figuring out what's going to be and what's going to happen. And then once I enter the room, I'm ready to rip up the plan. I'm because I don't know what's going to happen in that room that day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And so, so what that means is, is that the results of the meeting, and I say this a lot, it's a mantra, you know, in, in that piece of paper in front of you, these are the results of the meeting. That's our promise. And what we're going to do on the agenda, that's a plan. But that could go out the door if we're noticing in this moment that you all as a collective aren't, don't want to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's how I'd answer your question is that you have a clear, um, sense of what excellence is or what you're trying to go for but at the same time be, be open to the equifinality that the route that you think it's going to get there doesn't have it may not be that route and that's going to be okay you gotta you gotta be okay with what's in the moment what's happening um case in point i remember i i came in somebody asked me to do a team kind of like a team bonding whatever like you know we have this in corporate america or something right like team building Right. You know, and told me about the group and told me about, the, okay, great. I designed it, had a sense of result, you know, and I, as soon as I walked in, you know, and we started the, just the opening introduction, somebody just shared how just they didn't feel safe on that team. Like pretty much like, like, and in that moment, one side, you know, one, an older version of me would have tried to figure out how to get back on the plan. Mm -hmm. But instead, because I think I'm pretty experienced now, I just sort of sat and listened and ask the group, what do you think about what that person just said? Or like, or this is what I heard the person just say, right? I heard the person just say, that. so my instinct because improv was to listen, 
to mm-hmm. validate what was said and go, well, hey, listen, the intention was you wanted to be a bigger, a better team or you wanted to, to be stronger. You just had someone share something super powerful. What a great opportunity now. What do you want to do with this? Right. And, and again, I, I kind of had to improvise the rest of the meeting based off that. And really what, it, what happened was that, one, I wasn't given all the intel <laughs> in the room, right? What's going to happen? <laughs> but two, the thing about it was, is that something about that space, even how we came to that space, invited that person to put that in, into existence, right? And so, great, now you have it. Let's play with it. Let's do it. I, a lot of times, I'm, I'm really suspicious when I get to do my agenda like this. <laughs> Because <laughs> to me, that's like, I don't know, it's some, are we just going through the motions? Like, I'll even name it. Are we okay? This seems too easy. I'll, I'll sort of like, let me, let, me see, let me put this in the world. Let me put this in the room. Feels too easy. Are you sure? You're right. Uh, just, so the, to, just to check, you know, um, because it's, you know. So I, I think that's when you, when you say that prompt, that's what I think about is that it's a dance. Um, and, and again, the improv for many years has taught me how to, be in the moment and think of, well, what does this group need right now to get where it needs to go? And to be okay to be like, not the, even though they may have paid me or I get paid to hold meetings, to be vulnerable going, like, I don't know what to do right now. Mm-hmm. So I, if you're in a room with me, if I say, hey, practice breathing for a second, I'll, I could take a step back and I'm like, literally just take stock of what's going on. Practice breathing. I'll be right back. Because something's happening right now in real time and I, it's, it's faster than I can think, you know? And a lot of times when you give the work back to folks saying, hey, this is what I see. This is what I observe. You want to get to here. What's the conversation you want to have right now? Or what do you think the conversation is going to move us forward or move this group forward? So, so that's how I sort of put into real, real examples of how I deal with that tension or deal with that dance, that conundrum. Do you, uh, you ever find yourself thinking to yourself like, I, I know what they should do here. Like I know better than that, right? <laughs> yeah. <And> yes. <laughs> so how do you, do you, are you good at resisting the urge to be like, all right, let me break this down. Here's how this is going to go. Right. Or, well, again, if they bring me into consult, that's one thing. Yeah. If they bring me in the consult, because I think it's like, if it's, I, I know how you should uh, sell your cupcakes. That's, that's, I, sh- I may have that thought, Nick, but that's not yeah. a paid thought. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, know, I don't know cupcakes, right? But if I go like, I know you're dodging the question right now, or I know, I know everybody's not being authentic in this moment, or I, don't, I know people are holding back. I will say, I know this. This is what I know. What do you want to do with that? Or, or check, maybe I'm wrong. I could be totally wrong right now, mm-hmm. but I want to let you know this is what I'm going to name. Um, so that's what I will, that's what I will own but I won't own necessary subject matter expert all the time of, mm-hmm. of what's at. And, and I go back in, what, why did they bring me in the room? Did they bring me in the room to facilitate a conversation? If so, I have to be neutral to, the, to, to sort of the content of the result, but rather go, hey, you said you wanted to get here, right? And be the temp, almost be like a thermometer. Are you yeah. where you want to be? Right. Is this where you want to be? Now, now somebody might go like, yeah, we, you know, like we get to the end of the meeting and people say, we're going to do A, B, and C or something. I may go back going, well, in my experience, um, you need a little bit harder dates and by whom and by when. So let's, let's do this again. But, you know, like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. I, I may go and go like, hey, can you make this more real by writing this down? And then when will we check? But, you know, so that, those are things I will do if I'm noticing something. But if it's not a content thing, like, oh, I think you should 
blah, blah, blah. And that goes back to also coaching. Like I've, I've got, I've had experienced life coaching and working with clients and, and that's very much like, I don't, I don't tell them what to do. I just remind them, this is what you said you wanted. And, and I could also say, Nick, again, back to a coaching standpoint. Wow. You, Nick, you said, you, you know, when we talked, you were talking about you wanted to be losing weight. Like that's the goal you said. Help me understand you eating two pounds of buffalo wings on a Friday night. It's going to move you closer to your goal. That could be interpreted as like snarky, right? Or a point of view. It is literally just thing I don't understand because that's 1,500 calories. Now the person may go, wow, Mac, that's a good point. Um, I didn't see that. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, Mac, you know what? I, it was a cheat day. Like I had actually burned 5,000 calories that week. I was che- Okay, great. So you notice like I just put the, I put the data back in front of them. And, sure. and from my perspective, I don't get the connection. But if you get it, that's great. Or if you, or if you didn't see it, is that still your commitment? Do you still want that? If you don't, that's okay. I'm just letting you know what you see. These are things I think I'm authorized to offer to people in role. Mm-hmm. But they may ask me, hey, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about these cupcakes? And I, would, I go like, if you're really asking me, as somebody who likes to eat cupcakes but has no knowledge of the business of cupcakes, there you go. This is what I got. Right. And if that's what you're going with, I really question, <laughs> you know, I really question your your process because why are you bringing me off the street to do that it's not what you paid me for <laughs> yeah well there's i think a lot of people that'd be happy to be pulled off the street to be an expert on almost anything. <laughs> everybody's got takes we all got takes right yeah and i think right, yeah in our own lives i got takes although i think in some ways i really try hard not to have takes if that makes sense i can be really boring in that way i'd be like well i see that i see this mm-hmm. i don't know I, I try to be careful not to have too hard of a take even though i do have them i got takes sure. but I, I try to acknowledge do you think that's you know, changed over time like do you think that's different <sighs> for you are you less certain of your takes or is it just that you you care less about foisting them on people oh that's a good question do you have fewer takes or what is it I think I, I think I get, I feel like I'm, I'm fatigued by our current media culture that you need to have a take. Yeah. So I think that's me going the other way, yeah. right? Going, well, well, that's weak. You know, that's my, my point of view. <laughs> Obviously I'm not getting cast as Stephen A. Smith, right? Or something like that's what you're supposed to do is have a take. But um, I think there's something super reductive about having a take, right? That specific take. I, I think what I would offer is I do have a point of view. Right. And that's probably where I go back to. I really want a just and equitable society. Okay. Given that, then what? I really, you know, my point, here's my take. I would say a take is I think our society has been built on white supremacy ever since the jump. Right. Because we said in our uh, Declaration of Independence that certain people actually count as three, or the Constitution, people count three fifths as much. Black people count three. Like that's from the beginning. Right. So you can't tell me that we have not built laws that have been intentional to keep certain people out of power and people oppressed, right? Is that a take? I don't know if that's a take, right? I, to me, that's just, that's fact, right? That, that's, I, I can show you the evidence, right? Show me any evidence where you built laws based on race right? and it doesn't have some sort of implication. So when, I guess I'd point out though, if, if something was happening in the world, like, geez, what about what do you think about Medicare for all or something? I would kind of go back to like, I don't know if I have a take for Medicare for all necessarily in terms of how to execute it. I do know or believe 
I hold that, gosh, access to health should be something that a really good society, you know, really advanced, wealthy society should be really good at, um, or at least better than us charging people $5,000 for like emergency room visits. It just, that doesn't seem work. That doesn't seem to resonate. Mm -hmm. So is that a take? I don't know if that's a take. I guess what it is, I line up to what I hold is important. And I try to figure out if I have the, you know, Nick, one of my favorite phrases lately is if I don't, if I don't get it, if, 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 if me and you were working on something and I disagreed with you on something, right. Or I didn't, my, my go-to phrase right now I find is going like, you know what, Nick, I don't, I lack the imagination to see how you got to there. And so maybe it's me. Maybe I like that imagination, but I, I need your help either to make that clear to me or maybe I'm the wrong person to be with. Like, I don't, I can't do this because I just don't have that. I'm lacking the imagination. I'm not saying you're wrong because somehow you've been able to concoct a narrative that it works. Show me that, show me the math. But right now, right. So like, to me, that's like, I lack the imagination. I think I use that phrase because at least I'm owning it. Like I don't see it. I can't see it. Um, that's on me. Maybe I can be better at seeing, but in this moment, I'll be honest, I, I don't have it. I can't see it. Um, I'm open to finding a bridge. But, yeah. There was, I was reading something recently about, I can't remember what band it is, but they were sort of saying that their process for writing or recording a record was that they would pursue every idea, like no matter mm. whose idea it was. And if mm. people thought it was terrible, they're like, well, let's, Let's keep Let's going. Let's play it out. Let's play it out. Right. Yeah. And you know, the I, I don't know. I think sometimes you can then get to the end and you could say, Well, see, it was that was a great process, even but no one will know if it was actually a great process because you didn't do another process, right? That was <laughs> your process. So, so sometimes I for like the sort of rational part of me is like well, that's not really, you, you can't prove or disprove that. And, and, you know, maybe that was actually an inefficient way to get there or maybe um. you got inferior results or whatever. But I, I, I kind of admire the, um, either the suspension of disbelief or the willingness to just be like, okay, let's, you know, if, if people are doing it and you don't know what people are really thinking, right? The right. person who had the idea might think it's actually a bad idea and they're just doing it because they just, for whatever reason and or the people who are like okay let's pursue that might not be really thoroughly and honestly pursuing it either but i kind of i, I admire the approach of people's willingness to be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try to commit to something that i don't actually think is very good or very worthwhile or whatever yeah, yeah that's an admirable right when when maybe in the moment your expertise or maybe your best knowing goes yeah this is a dead end right like to actually right. go let's let's play this out I, I find myself sometimes in in team meetings or like in one-on-one -on -one meetings where we're trying to solve something and it's hard it's really kanati k-n-o-t-t-y right it's really ugh, or i can't figure it out or can't unpack it and and i go to just doing bits like i joke around Mm -hmm. Right. And what I find when I do that is sometimes it's just like making like ideas that are really stupid and just going like, that's, a you know, it, it might be a stupid idea, but like, how about we do that? Let's do that. And then I'll just play it out. Like I'll kind of keep going a couple steps and, and what we're doing is having a laugh, right. Or just loosing ourselves up. And I kind of need that laugh. I need to release some, some anxiety yeah. about it. But sometimes when you do that, you find the nugget of, well, okay, I don't like any of this stuff, but I like that part. And I mm -hmm. think that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, 
maybe it's not right. full blown. Let's do an hour to commit to that song, but rather even just in the moment. And I think again, being with improvisers a lot is you're also constantly doing bits. You're constantly like playing out premises. Like somebody does a thing and then, then somebody does another thing. And then now, now you're just fighting for it in some way. And this is just yeah. in the back room. It's not on stage. You're just like hanging out and you're doing bits. And I love that. And what I do is I'm that guy in my office in a way. Like I'm the guy who kind of like plays off a riff or does a thing. And sometimes what it happens is it does invite people to go like, oh, I never, huh, we could use that. Or that's interesting. Or like, I want to hold on to that. Let's save that thing. That could be useful. And I, I like bringing that. I like being in environments that invite that. Um, because sometimes that becomes like the thing that becomes like the yeah. best friggin' idea. And yeah. And so where, however it happens, but I also understand like, we don't want to waste studio time. <laughs> like <laughs> man, it's expensive. <laughs> we all got somewhere to go. I guess everybody's gotta be on board. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, let's do Nick Sitar riff. Fine. Break it out. Okay. <laughs> Fine. George Harrison. Let's go. Right. <laughs> guy listens to Ravi Shankar. Now he's, we got to do this. I mean, I think that's the thing. Like I get, maybe we don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, talk to me about what, uh, what pursuits you find um, to be relaxing for you. Like, what do you do when you feel like you need to unwind? I think the latest thing I've done in the quarantine is play video games. Okay. And let me be more specific. There's certain kind of, I really like these, like, uh, I'm playing football manager, which is European football, like not, not hike the ball between the legs, but kick yeah. the ball around. And uh, I like soccer. Actually, I, I've always liked soccer, but growing up in America, you didn't, I didn't access it. It was organized babysitting when I was growing up. I wasn't like, oh, messy. Right. Like, I didn't have it growing up. But when I became a young adult and like cable started showing like messy, and it was still kind of underground. So it's back to that, ooh, I want to be on, and I'm in on this. And so I found this video game, right, called, it was then called Championship Manager. So it was back in like 92, 93, 94, right? Um, where this guy was just obsessive. They called it glorified spreadsheet at the time. Because really what it was is just like stats on stats. But the way they built the game was that you could create a narrative mm -hmm. uh, in a way for yourself. And so I've been playing that late. Now it's like version, whatever, 500, you know, it's a big mega company that they, you know, it's got graphics on this, but I love the notion of signing on to a club that's like, like a lower league team and getting them through promotion. And that's fun. Like I, I have a lot of fun with that because it's just something gratifying. Again, it's all bleeps and bloops and random, right. <laughs> random chance. But like, I'm able to weave this narrative of how I'm this American that's winning over this skeptical <laughs> backwater English town. I'm going to take them to the prem, you know? And then, and then as I'm doing it, you know, I got us through league two and I got us to league one, but then all these other clubs now are starting to talk to me. And so I talk to them and then I use it to force my board to, you know, like, wait, don't go. What do you want? And I'm like, well, I need more money for the, so it's interesting how, you know, like I love how they're able to build this sort of world where I do that. Um, that's really relaxing. And another game I play is again, it's back to this, this is obsessive game. It's not super great graphics, but it's called total extreme warfare. Let me explain. It's a wrestling sim and it's the wrestling where you're a, a person who uh, oversees a promotion so you have to manage a roster. You have to put them in feuds. You get feedback on how they work together. And then people come to your shows and give you feedback. And so I'm fascinated with like the right gimmick, 
you know, if I do a, mm-hmm. a ladder match and the wrestler complains, this is too dangerous. I can like, suck it up, dude. And then the guy breaks his back and I lose him for three months. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And so I get sort of wrapped up in these narratives of like the promotion. And so I, I growing up liking wrestling. I always love that end of it. Like, why do certain people get pushed? And why do certain mm-hmm. gimmicks work? And, and so it's fun to have that um, opportunity to kind of do be Vince McMahon, if you will. Except I never choose, I never want to do a, like, a super, like a super promotion. I have a lot of fun doing this like Canadian <laughs> backwater, <laughs> you know, only 16 wrestlers wrestle. And, like, and, and what's funny is like they, they get $500 a show. And, and the thing is, if they ever get really hot, then the, another promotion can pick them up. So I have to figure out how to write them out of storylines when they're like, <laughs> forget you, Mac. Uh, these guys are paying me a thousand bucks. I'm leaving. So I'm like, oh, great. I have to invent, you know, and they actually have these like elaborate storylines <laughs> that you can plug in. And then like the crowd's like, oh, they didn't believe it or, or whatever. And so I, it sounds like work. <laughs> I guess what I like to do is work. I just think they're funny narratives or I think they're fun. So I, I'm mm-hmm. really attracted to those kind of opportunities to create narratives and, and, uh, get into it um but i also recognize nick like when i'm really into it and i recognize this is probably like drugs right now like it's too much escapism so mm-hmm. i have to i have to manage it right so i have to manage my time and <laughs> i don't want to get too more in like this world where i'm thinking about it where i'm not at it and i'm like ah i'm taking notes down and i'm like get this guy from japan i gotta bring him in and i don't you know that's 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 what i know I'm like okay let me go for a walk or let me go exercise or do something where i'm not working but um and i guess a really good question to ask for that is like well why don't i do stuff like that in real life why don't i open a backyard federation or why don't i run a football club i i think that's a really good question i think there's elements of it like of entrepreneurship or risk that i would fear in real life on some level but like i like having a game to make those mistakes and do it but i also recognize gosh it would be cool to do that <laughs> so i don't maybe again back to risk aversion and structures and and stuff like that it's like you know yeah well it sounds like right in some level there's a within at least in the sense that there's a game there's a structure there in which to operate whereas in life it's like well what actually do you do if you if you today wanted to start a football <laughs> club uh in shorewood like what would you even like how do you even do that start what would like, you what's do? the first phone call right like what do you do on day one <laughs> but i did i started on when i lived in houston i started an improv ensemble a long-form improv ensemble which might have been said canadian yarn art like their eyes what is that and i did it you know I, i've done that um and how so did you start? how did you start well i after an improv in chicago for like 10 years my wife, we had to relocate for studies down to Houston. And so I thought, okay, I guess I'm done with that. I'm done with that life. Um, and then I remember missing it. And then I saw like on a build, uh, you know, on the cork boards where you're at a coffee yeah. house, sure. there was this one group named Vagabondage. That's the name of the group. I remember like, oh, what an awful pun. But I, they were a short form improv, right? And so I was like, let me give them a call. And I said, hey, listen, I'm you know, I'm from out of town and I just moved. I just want to learn more about your thing. And the guy was like, wait, you're from Chicago. Do you want to come teach us some stuff? (laughs) So I'm like, sure. And so I taught them for a little while. And then I realized like, well, I can do this. And so I decided to do my own thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a coffee house 
that was down the street from where I lived in Houston called Helios. And they had an attic, like an upstairs place where sometimes they would have like indie, indie film showings and whatnot. And it cost, it cost 200 bucks a month to rent for four Saturdays. Uh, I could, I could get in there whenever nobody was in there, but I could also get a guarantee to do shows on Saturdays. Uh, so Huh, 200 bucks I had a rehearsal space and a performance space. So all I got to do pretty much is just convince people to do this. Uh, and so some of the folks I had trained in that old group, they kind of jumped over. And uh, you, my goal in the first year was, wouldn't it be cool to get on the cover of the alternative newspaper? Like, that'd be cool in a year. Like, let's get on the cover of the Houston Press. And within a year, we got on the cover of the Houston Chronicles Entertainment section because it was just this cool thing that we were doing uh, and a credit to Houston, Texas. I think Houston's a kind of city where like you can do stuff and there's very low barrier to entry to like rent space or people go like, I'll go see that. Like there's a very open mindedness in certain areas in Houston, Texas, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, the course of the year we, we, we did shows. We probably had 50 people come to show. Oh, selling out was 50 people. And, but, but we also had 20 people in the training center. So they would pay for classes and, and we had a great community and we did it for, as long as we lived there, we I relocated, left, and three of the guys that I trained moved to LA, and now book commercials consistently. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm so proud of them when I see them because they're like they're doing the work out there and they're they're doing the thing, and uh, you know, and it's, it was cool. Uh, and so yeah, I I was also didn't have kids at the time, right? I had a lot of time, had had yeah. a, had work that I could fall back on, right? That you know, it wasn't too expensive to run something. It could pay for itself because the people that are doing classes, I could funnel that back into doing stuff. Um, yeah. So I did it for a while. It was fun. And, but I also realized that like now I don't have a desire. People ask me, well, do you want to do that again? And I'm like, no, <laughs> because it's just after a while, you probably get this. Like once we start to get established, you, you know, then it becomes almost like administration. It becomes like another job on some level. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to get to that point. Um, and, you know, at that point, I was almost like, you know, this is uh, timing actually worked out. It was a good time to leave because I don't know if I could have done two jobs. Like, because, <laughs> again, you probably get performers. And they're like, I want more stage time. I want more of this. You know, it's like, well, right. how much more advertising do you want to do? Or how much more marketing can we do? <laughs> like, can you help out with that? And luckily, I've never had to. Do, I would say luckily. I, I just didn't want to do that stuff. So that's kind of got me. But I love teaching. Loved it. Um, I just felt lucky. Uh, to to do that there. Um, so this is a little bit of a, a gear shift. This question, like, sure. I mean, hopefully, we're all learning something as we go through life and trying to apply it to ourselves and stuff. If there was, is there something that you think? you would um can be kind of anything but is there any um i don't know if advice is the right word but a thing that you wish people in the world would think about like is there something like you know what the world would be a little bit better if everybody dot 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 right (laughs) you know just I don't know, thought about this or knew this or considered something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think my first reaction to that, 
I, I guess why I fear answering that question is I fear going into these platitudes. <laughs> like sure, I feel like I'll default to plat. So I'm being mindful of it. And obviously maybe that's why they're the platitudes or the cliches because there's elements of truth. Right. Sure. Um, I, I think here's a wondering I have. I wonder how much we're all in our own narratives so much that, right? Like when someone cuts me off, right? And, you know, I'm driving, somebody cuts me off. Yeah. My first reaction is, God, you suck. You suck. Right. right. And my wish for myself in that moment is going, well, yeah, that was uncomfortable. That was unpleasant for me. But why is that my first reaction that that person sucks? Like, I don't know right. what that person's going through. And I don't, who know, maybe they do suck, right? But they probably do. Then they probably do. But <laughs> I think there's something about the grace, the offering of grace to others. Um, on one hand, I wonder, right? Like if we were able to offer folks more grace in, in that way, like how might things be different? That's one thing. But I also wonder at the same time, I also wonder if that's paired with this notion of like, uh, okay, this is, this is, this is, these thoughts are forming in my head and they're coming together. I think it's interesting that um, we, we, when I say we now, so I guess I'm getting to have a take. Here's a take I have. <laughs> we want to we have a shared society, yet we're not willing to, to do the things to share with each other on some level, mm-hmm. right? And so I guess I go back. So, so one thought for me is the example where uh, apparently there's this website, there's platform like GoFundMe, except you can support people to pay for their bills, like their heating bills and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I go like, well, if we all paid more taxes, then maybe everybody wouldn't have super huge heating bills, right? It's, it's, it's just an interesting like, where there was this notion where somebody uh, showed this one tweet. And again, I don't know if it's a bit, right? I don't know if it was an act or something, but like it resonated with me. It was this notion where this person was able to like, gosh, when I want to go to a park, I just want to be able to walk my dog in a private place, you know, that they're not bothered. And it's just like, well, if we had more green space, then we would all have, like, it's just as interesting. Like, why do I have to pay for that private? <laughs> or, or it's a notion of like, gosh, you know, it'd be great if Amazon had a bookstore. It's like, well, we have libraries, you know, like why? Right. It's just, I don't know. Like, I feel, I feel like there's this odd sort of the other, the, the other classic bit was when uh, the dude who started Travis Kalanick, was that the guy for Uber, Uber, right? And he, or somebody from Uber was on an interview describing like the perfect run. And he said, you know, it'd be great is when it's most efficient when the driver picks somebody up and then they drop them off. And at that moment, they pick somebody else up. And then when they drop off the next person, they, you know, and he describes like this, this flow, like that's what we're aspiring for. And then somebody retweeted underneath it, like the man's describing a bus. He's describing <laughs> a bus. Right. So it's this notion of like, wait a minute. Wait. And so I guess I'm wondering, like, what is it about it that we really want these private, um, personalized like individualized things which i think it, it's interesting that we all want to have our own narrative or our own uh, actualization but at the same time it, it does come at the like our stories are not in vacuums like we rub up against as we're living through this pandemic like we rub up literally against other people like we are shared spaces right and if anything our humanity is whether or not you're introverted or not our humanity doesn't does depend on others right so I think it's fascinating that in some ways, like maybe over the last 20, 30 years in the, in service to efficiency of, of like 
personalized services, like in goods and like the AI knows exactly Warby Parker ad I need to see because I need like <laughs> to doing that, right? Like there's a reason why like, how do I share space with other people when it's not super efficient? And it's not to say like, oh, the DMV could be better. There's just spaces you're going to be with other people and it's not going to be fast, right? It's because we're different and we have different needs and we have different moments. And I think there's some level of our inability to hold that ambiguity and hold that mm-hmm. complexity, right? It's got to be this. It's got to be, it's gotta, and I get it. Like, I feel that too. Like, it's got to be perfect. I totally get that. But I'm really pleased with myself when I'm able to hold space when I'm not comfortable or I'm not, it's not ideal like the DMV or shared spaces, right? But the thing is like, we're all sharing it. Like we're all together. And I, I guess I sort of wonder, and again, it's not a fully formed thought, I guess on some level, but I think the best of us is when we, we actually work together in a commonwealth, right? Because at the end of the day, Nick, right? Like God forbid when the apocalypse does come, aren't we just going to form our own governments again? Except it's just, I know you this time. Like what? Or let me, let me go, let me drill it this way. My wife is, you know, Paru is the head of the school board of Shorewood here in Shorewood, right? And the Shorewood School District is probably the top three in the, in the, in the state, right? We pay a lot of money for it. We, we pay for it, but it's a great school district, right? It's one of the top in the state. It is so fascinating how many people like email her with all sorts of complaints or things. And like my reaction can, because I don't have her role, is like it's public school, not personal school. Like you don't get everything you want. Like you, right, right. We can ask for it. But if you really want Calc B, that's only good for like your kid, really. Like we could use those resources to get everybody else to good because it's a public school and you could have your kid go to UWM down the street. We actually pay for that. Like we'll put the kid on the bus to go to UWM to do the college course. But it doesn't make sense for, you know, like my mind goes like, what? And I hope I'm gentle in that way because I'm sure I got these moments of like, well, let me talk to your manager. Like I'm sure I'm like that. But I hope I have a moment going, well, what's the big picture? Like, what, what are we trying to do? And, you know, again, like when this, this whole pandemic thing happened, right? And, and some of these, some parents are like, God, my kid's going to fall behind. You know, part of his like gut reaction, she won't say this out loud to people. Well, who knows? She's not going to, you know, who knows if she's going to run again. She's been at this job for 10 years. But like, <laughs> like I, I understand it's like your sunflower is going to be okay. You know why your sunflower is going to be okay? Because you're already advocating for them in such a powerful way. Like, they're going to be fine. Right. Right. Like, right. Like, yeah. for, well, first of all, they're not going to beat the Chinese. The Chinese are way ahead. Like, that, that school <laughs> system's already outclassed us nine times. Like, so don't, it's not competing against them. But the, the notion of like, you're going to be behind is like, oh my God, I've never seen a district with more parents that are so involved in their kids' learning. Like, that alone, there's so many parents in this district, right, that are, working white collar jobs, who've gone to college, dot, dot, dot. Right. Because we've had that path, our kids, not to say it's guaranteed, they see it. Right. So, you know, an extra half hour of Latin is not going to make or break them. If anything, they could stand to fail more. Anyway, I got on a riff complaining about the little village I live in, but I guess this notion of like, if we really want a shared um, destiny, and if we really do believe we're better together, then, you know, how much am I willing to be with others or, or work with others um, as opposed to like, well, yeah, we want to be together, but I still need to get my thing. And I feel like whenever I see someone holding up a sign saying I need a haircut, that means like, you, you don't get it, right? Like, you, no, like that's not how it works. 
right? right. Like you, and this is a take, like your haircut shouldn't come with the cost of this person's health. And this, like, no, we can all figure it. We'll all cope. We'll all right. wait a week. We'll all wait two weeks. Right. So I guess that's my reaction to it. Like, I wish we were better at that. And usually it was like things like wars or like an independence day, like the aliens had to come. Like, all right, let's right. put our stuff aside. And you'd think in the face of this thing, we'd all be a little, and I think for the most part we are. I mean, for the yeah. most part we are. But gosh, golly, I think, you know, if I see another person share the pandemic video and go, guys, the truth, da, da, da. I'm like, oh, man, like, come on, man. Like, I get it. I get it. You need answers or you're not getting the answer you want. And this is really seductive and da, da, da. But there's a lot of really smart people. There's a lot of really smart. It's just fascinating how it's. And again, I guess it goes back to like the way we're running now. It goes to show, well, maybe you don't have to be that smart or you don't have to be that thoughtful or you don't have to be less rapey to run things. And, and that's a bummer, right? Cause that's what we're, we're kind of working through right now. And so I guess, I don't know. I, I, I hope we can figure that out. I think when we've been our best collectively, we've, we've done that on some level, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Does that answer your question? I feel like I, no, it's good. It's you, good. you like, you like, Great. you pulled a thing on a sweater. It feels very like, Oh man, <laughs> I botched it. I missed it. No, no, no. Yeah, edit that's this great. out. No, that's <laughs> no. Because I ended up stuff. having a take. I ended up having a take. It's the worst. There's nothing wrong. With I, that. I spent I spent all this time like yeah, takes. And now there you go. I'm like frigging. That's that the guy. twist. Who's who's that author? Who's that author? David Foster Wallace. I end up talking like David Foster Wallace without. No, it's good. The eloquent uh, writing. I would be uh, remiss if I got to ask you remiss. one question about music. So I'm yeah. interested if there's a, um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I often think of you when I hear, uh, well, in general, but I think of you <laughs> every, t- every time that I hear This Is It by Kenny Loggins. Because <laughs> I think of you talking about Joe Montana listening to it. Right? <laughs> Listen to, yes, just chilling. Yeah. Listening to This Is It. But, Make so no I'm mistake at this time. And I like this is it, it uh, <laughs> and I like it. I like it more because of that, because I think of you and that. But I, uh, I'm interested if there's, you know, uh, an example of a song for you that's sort of what um, our pal Vinay refers to as a secret personal anthem, like a mm. thing that, like, maybe isn't the most popular song or whatever, but it's a thing that for you, you're like this. This thing's speaking to me, and it's a thing I can tap into. At oh wow at key moments or oh whatever. wow wow uh, talking to someone like you who knows music in and out it's always rife with judgment and so no 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 no, no no i'm, no, just I'm just, curious i'm what, just naming because because i think this what, is what's this is what's happening for me right now let me tell you what's happening yeah. for me right now in the and not just now in this conversation like yeah. now yeah. so i've been i've been working out a lot i've been i've lost 14 pounds like intentionally because this is what I can control. I control what goes into my body. I can control how I can exercise. And it's been like almost like a therapy, like the right, left of running, all these things. So, but to do all these things, I have to play music. I need, I need something to get me going. And so the music I've been playing has been, I found on YouTube, uh, this, there's a genre called, it's called DMZ, which, which refers to a Manila radio station that in the 1990s, 
would just play mixes, long mixes of slow jams and like new wave songs. And so it's all the, it's like the same 30 songs. They just chunk it differently. And these different people like are attributing, they're doing a tribute to that thing. And I have all 10 of them or 15 of them on a playlist. And that's what I run to. So we're talking John Sakata doing just another day without you. We're talking, uh, we're, we're talking Wigfield with, uh, we're talking, we're, so we're talking these obscure Italo disco groups, Erasure, you know, all these, it's cheesy. Um, and I think that's something about being Filipino also, like love a hook. God, I mean, it's, at, the, at the risk of being <laughs> reductive, God, we love a hook. Man, do we love a hook, like such cheesy. And, and, and it's like Max Martin is like the drug, right, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been really into right now. Like, and I, me and my daughter to the side, I show this, we're doing puzzles. And so I'll just like run one of those things as we're doing our puzzle together. And she's like digging it because it's so inoffensive. It's so mild. It's so like, and I wonder if like, that's what I'm digging right now because it's, it's calming. Right. And you know, I remember hearing it the first time. uh, And, uh, and it's not terribly challenging music, but it's, it's so like hummable and singable. Um, and it's like a like that. It's like boy band music, right? Westlife, all these sort of Euro bands mm-hmm. that were started by Simon Cowell's four predecessors just to sell a lot of music. Stock, eight, even Waterman, I believe, like all those writers. I think that for me is what's really, I'm playing a ton of. And partly like it is out of like therapy, like to just feel comfortable, but also it's maybe midlife crisis-y. It's reminding me of a simpler time. It's back to the Pearl Jam, BC Boys. I will say probably BC Boys, Check Your Head. That, I mean, that's an album I go, I go back to a lot when I think of like, just, I don't know, there's something about that that just is right. Um, it sounds like summer. It sounds like mm-hmm. it's loud. You can play loud and I feel, it still feels them now. You know what? I'm sorry, you're riffing. The, an al- I'm riffing. Uh, the, the album Violator by Tepesh Mode I can still mm-hmm. play that now, and it feels like, oh, you can play this now. Like this, this there's something about that album that still works, even though it's like forty years old or something, thirty years old. It's still, yeah. I don't know that that album resonated with me recently. Uh, that I, it was one of those where like, happy anniversary to this, <laughs> and I and I put it on my Facebook page, and like four people responded to it, and like, oh yeah, you're my people. I get you. Yes, we, we see each other. <laughs> I, I posted like New Order's performance of Blue Monday from Top of the Pops that was absolutely horrible. But I'm like, you know, they're, they're, they're terrible live. But this, this album still slaps. This track, Blue Monday, still works. I guess those when you say like anthems, I think it's like that stuff really resonates yeah. with me yeah. uh, right now. I'm watching a lot of, there's a, my favorite channel on YouTube now. It's called Trash Theory. And it's this British guy who does video essays. And so like the one I saw this morning was like, how soon is now? And like how it was created. And he just talks about like the influences of British culture that led to Morrissey and Marr co-creating How Soon Is Now. And that included Morrissey's love of like British film and cinema and Middlemarch, but Johnny Marr's love of Bo Diddley and some of the Northern soul groups that he stole the riffs. I'm just like, all right, what's the next one? Oh, Dexy's Midnight Runners. All right, let's, let's learn about that thing. And, I, and I'm going to watch that for 20 minutes about how that, that band was more than Come On Eileen. I'm just like, so anyway, like that's, I think of that era, I would say, is there, if, if I were to say an anthem or something that like yeah. feels good, it's like, all right, all right, I'll go watch a History of the Stone Roses. How do they make the album? I'm, I'm in. Let's go. Let's watch, I want to know how those cheeky Manchester art, art kids, <laughs> art school kids <laughs> put that album together. So that's, that's what makes me, that's what I'm, 
uh, giggly about nowadays. So it's, it's looking back, I guess. Yeah. Although I'll say the 1975 now is like the one band now that feels like, hey, Mac, remember that? Like, we're going to do it for you now, except we're younger and we're going to use more <laughs> current things. So I'm like, right. I'll listen to you guys. You, you get me. You get me. It's a John Hughes movie that I haven't seen yet. All these songs are for that soundtrack. I get it. I'm in. Yeah, they're triggering a lot of the same stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. I think they're trying to say something on some level, too. Like, I, yeah. I, I've seen some interviews of them and how they... Yeah, I, I mean, the sound, it sounds like it, but I do, for me anyway, to, at the risk of getting wonky art critic y or music critic y, it's like, it is something about intimacy and, and, and being fully present in a time where we're distracted and all these. I think their music kind of plays with that or at least the themes of that or, or, or how we use, if not technology, drugs and, and different things to, to sedate yeah. ourselves. Like, that, to me, that's interesting. I'm like, oh, okay, you guys are, you're not just, you know, another British boy band in some ways you're trying to do some stuff pretty cool but yeah, yeah that's that's me being a wonky that's me again uh, trying to be all pitchforky yeah no I think but I think that's valid I think that they the 1975 especially right they are whether or not you think it's good commentary or correct or whatever like they're trying to comment on the times and things like that as well as being personally self-indulgent and all that kind of stuff that you gotta have <laughs> right well, who's commenting on the Times now? Right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, well, I was like... And I also think that there's some stuff that's like almost too like on the nose, right? Mm. That to me is like less valuable commentary. It's sure. Anybody could just, you know, I don't know, say X is bad or, you know, you should do more Y. And I don't, I don't know that... When I think of you, I think of the who... I think of, uh, I, I, I think of like, like, you know, you rock because you came up in the seventies, right? I think that influenced you very much. And that was, that was like American guitar, sort of that era, right? It was, was, was that, um, maybe cheap trick was the end of it. Like I'm trying to think of like just guitar driven bands, like pop bands. I don't know if it's like big star, maybe that would have been a little too poppy for you, but, um, I, I, to me, that feels very much like when I think of your music, I say, you're, like when I think of the music you play or the music that I affiliate with you, there's something really authentic about it. It's like a Marshall amp, like a small amp that's, <laughs> that's on, right? And it's a little crackly, but it's, it's crunchy and it's, it's, and it's summer. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and it's, it's easy. Um, and, I, and, I, and, it, and it's not, it's clean in, in the melodies, but not necessarily clean in the production. Where I think I love clean. I really love the mm -hmm. treble. Mm -hmm. I really love the treble. I think you're okay being fuzzy. Like, I think you like being, there's some elements of fuzzy. Although you're, you're a chameleon. I know you, you occupy different roles, so that, yeah. I, shouldn't, I shouldn't put you in a box. I think, I think you the shows. The rock. You know, for different people and at different points, right? It's, you know, I do think that there's certain stuff that resonates kind of the, mo the most deeply for me, even though there's a lot of other stuff I also really enjoy on, on different levels. Yeah. Um, Although I, I'll say that uh, you, um, I, I think that uh, I was going to say, uh, oh, I just lost a thought. I just lost it. It was, no, I just lost it. I was going to think of, there was a song that reminded me of you the other day, just, just in the notion of just like, straight on hooks, straight on guitars, and just like, boom, 
Like we got to the chorus right away and it was, it was great in and out in three minutes. It's like, yeah. I think that Nick would like this song. I'm like, or he's probably played the song. He's probably, but um, yeah, it's very American. I think in some ways too, it's a very sort of like, not petty. I don't know. I don't know. And that's, I think that's the edge of me right now. Like I don't, I, I grew up with it a little bit, but I was definitely more of the British romantics, like kind of, sure. Kinda, I went there a little bit, but yeah. Then I grew up in like the hair metal era. <laughs> so I kind of missed the good stuff. Although it's, it's good pop stuff, but it's not terrible. Yeah, it's right. It's a different, <laughs> it's interesting to write this. I mean, I think there is definitely for a lot of people an association between certain music and this, you know, certain times of their life. And that that's why that's probably more about why they like it than anything that has to do mm-hmm. with the music itself. Right. It's that it was accompanying these events in their life mm-hmm. um and that's you know that may or may not have anything to do with the sound of that music it's just like that was what was on you know mm-hmm. so that's what they associate with with a certain time or a certain feeling what do you think about huey lewis uh, when i say huey lewis what does it make you feel um i like i think the the band's great and i think they have a bunch of great songs yeah yeah i know that there's it's like any it's almost like I don't know, like many, if not most bands, right? There's sort of a, um, at any given point in time, there's like a, you can plot the graph, right? Where they are in the conventional wisdom and stuff and whether you're supposed to like them or not like them, or if you (laughs) like them, you're quote unquote ironic or whatever, you know what I mean? Like whatever (laughs) the stuff is. Right. But I don't really, I don't, so I sort of don't, I don't believe in the term guilty pleasures. I mean, right, you right, like right. what you like and you yeah. don't like what you don't like and that's fine. Right. And I don't really care what other people like or don't like. I, you know, I like what I like. Right. I feel like they're in the place where one could take stock at their career and go like, that was a rock and roll band, like a pop, strong pop yeah. band that had yeah. 10 top songs and with the horn section, like the Tower of Power horns and like complexity to yeah. with, you know and and that's like i don't think i would have had that at that time in the 80s since i was pretty young and didn't know that but like right. i think I, I guess i say that because i actually watched a youtube video at lunch today that had uh huey lewis talking about his albums and it just it just sort of struck me like oh my gosh it's like i took that guy for granted growing up he's <laughs> just right. like oh there should be another huey lewis song right that's that's how it goes right um, right but no, that ends, right? Like it ends. Right. It just it just has to end, and he he can't sing anymore, right? Like, so it's even more poetic. But um, yeah, yeah. I guess I I just lifted up because he's an example. I I think of an act that's just like timeless, like great, like great chops, but also maybe would have been obscured by their fame and some right, like they, right, like right. all that aside, it's it's rock music, man. It's it's solid chops, great voice, great guitar licks, and and. Um, Right. And I think you touched on a point there, right? There's sort of a taking for granted that those songs exist, but someone had to make them. Someone had to be him or whatever, right? Like you had to like, someone had to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they did it and they did it. And that's not nothing. <laughs> you're, you're reminding me of the big, the Phil Collins bit where when people, when, when uh, people would complain to him, that like i'm sick of hearing your songs he's like it's right. not my fault that the people are playing them so much i just wrote yeah. the songs right or are you blaming me i just wrote the songs <laughs> <laughs> and i just kind of like I, and i've been pro i'm pro phil collins like not sure. i love me phil too. huge but, but it's it's one of those things that's what i use that's actually my defense like you hate phil it's not his fault 
He was played yeah. in every dentist office. The guy just crushes. What are we going to do? He's great. <laughs> <laughs> and he can't, even, love it. He, he can't play now either he can't play his hands right no it's tough oh no oh it's a tough end of an era <laughs> mac thanks for uh speaking of end of an era that's else? a segue that's a good yeah, segue that's right um this was great i feel like we're just getting started but uh. it, uh, <laughs> it's great to do this with you and so that was just fun i appreciate it. it i appreciate it appreciate you you're right. You're super quiet. I was getting self-conscious. I'm like, I'm, ta- I'm just rambling now. No, no, no. That's what it's here for. It's also, a, there's a meta thing here where it's an exercise for me in, in honing my listening skills, which mm. are great generally. So this whole, <laughs> this whole enterprise is a, is a, I love it. No, it's fun. That's fun stuff. <laughs>